Welcome to Between Sundays, a weekly Grace Church podcast that's going to try real, real hard to make your midweek just a little more enjoyable. My name is Tyler, and we've got a great show ahead of us. Today, we're going to be speaking with teaching pastor Tim Ayers. He spoke this past weekend on Hope and Mary. And uh, as we're midway through our Christmas series, Thrill of Hope, it was great to hear from him this weekend. So we're going to dig a little bit deeper into what he had to say. And uh, yeah, so we're really looking forward to that. But first, let me welcome in Barry and Marin. Good day, guys. Hey. Good day. How you How you guys doing? Good. I'm real good. Yeah. Where were you this weekend? What was happening? What's on your minds? I'm I'm just really chill today because I spent chill the last day. yeah well I spent the last few days um, like kind of off. I, I did a few worky things here and there, but I, I've been learning here since I've been working at Grace for two and a half years. I'm realizing that there's a rhythm that happens usually every December, but also just kind of randomly. There'll be times when I get things pretty, like my workload decreases. People aren't emailing as often. I don't have a, it just kind of eases up a little bit. Slowing down. Yeah. And usually I'm so used to being busy all the time Mm -hmm. that something feels wrong. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. I I have to, I have to do something. I have to. And so I end up stressing myself out. So do you like do laundry or something? Yeah. Or like, I'll just make up work for myself to do. But I've been learning every time that happens, I end up being just miserable. And I realize, wait, I'm going to be super busy again in no time. Let me just relax and enjoy a little bit of, a little bit of the slowness. So I've been doing that. I've been enjoying it. So lots of naps. Lots of naps. Yeah, great. What do you do when, like, you get that opportunity to relax? Like, I eat cookies for breakfast when I have that opportunity. <laughs> when That's it's time to I relax, do. it's time for cookies Cashy, for breakfast, huh? dark chocolate oatmeal cookies, because they're kind of breakfast, because they have oatmeal in them. That's what I do. That what do you breakfast? do? Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, okay. Confession time. I, at, on Black Friday... Oh, I you're doing a, this. I bought you're an going Xbox. There, huh? I bought an Xbox. <laughs> I, I'm weak. <laughs> I couldn't help myself. I used to be a really, really big gamer. So Wombat Slayer was my name. Yep. And I thought that that season of my life was over, (laughs) but it. You're back. You're back back and better than ever. Yeah, not better than ever. I don't have the time (laughs) to give to it like I used to. But um, so that has actually been a a great way to kind of veg and relax. I'm also reading for the third time uh Stephen King's Dark Tower series. Um, oh. I'm like plowing through that. So I'm in the third book and it's pretty good. You are. Yeah. Did you see the movie? No, I I refused to. I heard Curtis it was no Honeycutt good. and I both are huge fans of Dark Tower and after seeing all the reviews we both agreed, let's just pretend this movie never happened and never oh, wow. go see it. Okay. Oh yeah, weren't didn't you guys weren't you on we were, your way to that movie and yep. change your mind yep. to see another one? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's quite a story. Wouldn't dignify it. So. Mm-hmm. Marin, what's going on with you? Not much. Um, I had an interesting weekend. I I was at Fisher's for the Sunday service, but my son was playing drums in Fisher's Fuse for the first time. They just got a drum kit. It's the wow. first time the kit was ever even played in Fuse. So I was proud mom, both services, videoing my boy play drums, um, which meant I walked in on the sermon about midway through. Yeah. So, yeah. so you are not prepared. You are prepared. I did, but it was, an, it was an awkward way to kind of enter uh sure big church as the kids call it by the way your son is an amazing drummer and can i say i was gonna say this today he's not just amazing he's just a cool guy you got to know him i got to actually we got to talk for a little bit and i was like well we just chatted about like well video games (laughs) see it's it's good that i'm back i can talk with the youth Uh, (laughs) (laughs) no but we talked and like man if i had been 
a quarter as cool as Jaden when I was his age. Aww. It would have been the awesomest sweet. life ever. I, what was I doing back then? I was obsessed with World War II airplanes, <laughs> and and like I'd like ride my bike to the library to look up facts about yeah. World War II airplanes. Okay. So That's cool, I though. mean, I was a nerd. I love that he's a great drummer, but I would be thrilled if he would ride his bike to the library. That would yeah, make everyone me was very a, happy. It was a different time. We didn't have smartphones and. <laughs> But you posted a video of him drumming. I did. I did. I'm a Well, you posted one of him rehearsing. Yeah. And then one yeah. of him drumming. And that kid is so good. Thank you. Gosh. Yeah. yeah. Now, I, I raised him to be a pocket drummer. So I wanted him to Gotta not be fancy and do all the fills until he was ready. Can you explain to the listeners what a pocket drummer is? Oh, geez. Um, <laughs> how do I explain to somebody who's not a drummer what a pocket drummer is? So it's about space. It's about creating space and not rushing things. It's about kind of leaning back into the beat and being a little chill. The coolest drummers that I watch kind of lean back in their chair a little bit. Yeah. Because they're not going anywhere in a hurry, you know, and even yep. if they're fast, they're still just so chill. So he's been playing with me for years, um, mostly on hand percussion, only right before we came to Grace Church, I had him on a kit. But there's just so much more involved when you're a drummer at Grace mm -hmm. Church. You've got uh, click tracks in your ears and things That's like that. That's pretty crazy. It's just very involved. It's a, just another level of uh, of playing. Um, so I wasn't sure that he was even ready to do all of that. Um, but apparently he was. He was He was more than ready. He sounded great. Thank you. Thank you. He sounded yeah. great, son. Guys, have you done any Christmas shopping yet? Are you done? Uh, I have not I'll started. take that as a no. No. It, you, I'm not, I'm, I'm not sure how to answer that. Christmas shopping. You're no. what? No. No. You're not into it? No. I, Taking no. a pass this year? <laughs> I think I might. Sorry, I think kids. I might just not take a pass entirely, but say, hey, this is a crazy year. This is my first year, Grace, first Grace yeah. Christmas. Christmas presents are not on my mind, although they should be, but they are not. Ever. Have you guys ever spoken with your spouses and like made an agreement that you're not going to get gifts? Yeah, I tried to do that this year. What's like, the rule on that? Like, do you do you say know. we're not getting gifts and then get and someone gets it for you yeah. anyway and you also my, got them something? Uh, no. Like, <laughs> what is the rule? Because my wife and I have made this agreement this year. Like, we bought ourselves a gift like a month ago. And we're just like, this is for the family. Okay? We're not going to get anything else. But I know that she got me something. Yes. How do you know that? She slipped up and was like, <laughs> your Christmas gift is on its way. Oh. I was like. We it's made a this a, it's like, a major slip up. We're two weeks away, <laughs> and now I got. Do I have to think of like what? what yes, do I, the answer is yes. Yes, yes you do. I do. That's yeah, the rule. Yeah. We, That's even though could you imagine her getting you a gift and you didn't get her anything in return? Even but the, if you knew the agreement was doesn't matter. Oh. Yeah, you do. So we're we're going to North Carolina right after Christmas, and I tried that. I said to my husband, "Why don't we just not get ourselves anything? You know, just so that." that'll kind of help support the cost of the trip to North Carolina. Let's yeah. just make that our present. We get to go on this little road trip. Um, but then <laughs> he sees things that he wants, right? And he is very apt to just buy them for, mm. for himself. But he gets he's getting better. We've been married for 15 years now, and he's getting better at telling me to buy those things instead of just buying them for himself, especially if we're super close to Christmas. So there was this wallet that he saw that he really liked on Amazon. And it must have been like a particularly great wallet because I don't hear him talking about wallets very often. <laughs> He's had the same wallet for as long as I've known him, like even our dating years and all that stuff. But, but it's anyway, time. so it's time. He, he tells me vaguely or 
more, maybe not vaguely, he tells me directly that he wants this wallet. But then maybe two days later or so, there's a text saying, should I just go ahead and buy that wallet? And like, <laughs> you can reimburse me. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I'm like, sure. Can you just give me $15 It'll for the wallet? The Patience mail. is a virtue. I'll wrap Dad. it yeah. up. I'll give it to him for Christmas and he'll be so happy. Well, yeah. I don't See, know. I'm going to push back on the, we made an agreement. No <laughs> gifts. I don't feel like I am. Oh no. Our guest Tim Ayers is here and he's shaking his head at me. <laughs> I feel like I, if you make an agreement, it's her fault for slipping up. Right. No, Tim Ayers is still shaking. Okay, so <laughs> you've now referenced our guest twice and our guest did give the, the, sermon on marriage not long ago so yeah, maybe so let's you just should welcome just him ask in. him for his advice everybody <laughs> welcome our teaching pastor tim Ayers. Hey. welcome tim hey. good to see you good to see you tim what, what are your opinions on this uh, if you made an agreement you made an agreement at one moment but she has changed her mind and <laughs> she's allowed to change her mind but she accidentally let me know that she changed her mind well but well yeah but now you know <laughs> <laughs> so it's time. I have to do something quick. If anything, I would be grateful if I were in your position. Like grateful well, yeah, that I There's a I part know. of me that's like, thank God I know, because now I'm not going to look like a weirdo on Christmas morning. <laughs> but the other part of me is like, but we already did this. We already got each other a gift. But I get it. Guys, it I might, get it. It might have yeah. something to do with love languages, because I know Olivia is all about giving totally. and receiving gifts, which I am not. And it, mm. I have to really, really force myself to receive gifts hard. Well, I have to be like, I have to, it has to matter to me when I receive yeah. a gift and I have to be thinking I should get her something. Have you ever of just given like, a false reaction when you've received a gift? No. Oh, I, I totally have. And I was busted out like bad. <laughs> what does that like, mean? Like, You're like, oh. My grandmother, when I was younger, my grandmother got me a set of, well, they ended up being like checkered sheets. And at the time, like I had a checkered wall in my room and whatever. But Checkers were she, in back she, then. They were. <laughs> Big in the 90s, those checkers. But she showed me a picture of like race car betting. And she's like, oh, this is what I got you. It's coming in the mail for your birthday. And I was like, oh, thanks, Grandma. I love race cars. <laughs> and, and she's you didn't. like, I was talking about the sheets. You're not getting the race car quilt. And oh. So then you had to go with it and you had to pretend that you were devastated that you weren't getting the race car quilt. And to this day. Yeah. Well, I think, well, I, I learned not to. Well, no. Then there was another time that Jed got me a Bears vest for Chicago Bears. For my birthday or Christmas or something. Yeah, Chicago Bears. A Bears vest. Because he just loves football. I don't know how I could even have faked my way through that one. So <laughs> oh, you didn't? Just... Oh, no. <laughs> Tim, are, you, uh, are your plans to stay put this holiday or are you guys going out of town? Um, we are staying put. I just found out yesterday that our son and his family from Chicago can come down oh, to. Oh, great. Uh, cool. Indianapolis, so we'll have cool. somebody in the house. We thought we'd be alone this year. This is our year for our children to be with their other side of the family. Oh, so, so you switch off and on we year do. to year. Yeah, okay, we do. Great. Well, I got to tell you, we've been looking forward to this, to having you in here since before we even started mm -hmm. talking about yeah, the show. His name was up on the whiteboard. <laughs> and now we're six or seven episodes deep, and here you are. And I, for one, am a little nervous. I got to be honest. What? Why on earth would you be nervous about me? <laughs> well... It's because I know you used to work at the Bob and Tom show, and I, now you're at this dog and pony show <laughs> with well, us. Well, yeah, but I wasn't on the radio on the dog, the Bob and Tom show. So, yeah, that's... Someone like to explain to me what that is? Yeah, you the might Bob want to. The Bob and Tom show. You don't know what that is? She's from Chicago. It's a... Chi-town. It's a national... Is it national? Yeah. Oh, my gosh, yes. When I was oh, I there, they were on 
I don't know, 180 stations or yeah. something. Oh, there wow. You go. So yeah. what, what did you do? And uh, when, when was, was this? And it's un- I was there for a while, but it, it was mostly that I helped the producer. I was an associate producer, assistant producer or something. I don't know. I didn't really have a, to- a title. Yeah. But I, um, I put the news together for Christy and I, I had to come in really early and I would read the books before guests would come and put the questions oh, together or yeah. like when they'd have people on, I would prep them. So what they could and couldn't say. And I was just a part of the, the, I guess just the fabric of how the show got accomplished, but I, they would c- occasionally call me into the room where they were on the air and ask me questions about religion. Mm. <laughs> oh, okay. But, you were uh, the- well, yeah, they, the, to be honest, they were my friends and I'd known them through rock and roll and they were my friends. And, one day, Tom just asked if I'd like to work, uh, come in and work on the show and be with people because there were all kinds of things. And, and they're, that's an insulated group of people. And I hate talking about them because they're still on the air and they yeah. are still my, my dear friends. Sure. They just wanted, I guess I was a calming influence at that time in their lives. And so they wanted me there. And so they cool. brought me in. And so I was there for a while. Yeah, a good while. Um, so he's a calming influence. You don't have to be nervous okay, in I his feel presence. Yeah. Well, yeah, and that was, it was interesting. And I've talked about this before, but the thing about it, it, it was never the aspect of the show. I mean, I loved those people. The show was, I guess they call them shock jocks. Yeah. And they were, they were you know, it's kind of like junior high humor. And, yeah. But they're all brilliant people. They're brilliant. I mean, and, I think you have to be to do something like that every and, day. And their thing was, you tell us what the audience is, and we can be funny for any audience. Oh, wow. And so they knew who their audience was then. And I, I don't listen to the show now. I'm, I'm still good friends with Tom. Mm-hmm. And I don't listen to the show, but I'm sure that if the audience has changed, they're being funny for whatever audience. Yeah. And they, mm. they know who their audience is. They, sure. They know about that. So. This is the thing that I love about Tim more than anything is the fact that Tim has been a rock and roller, a radio producer, a, an English farmhand, a seminarian, <laughs> a horticulturalist. What else? A, a teaching pastor. Am I missing anything? Yeah, I think one of the coolest. Oh, oh thing- like a like a hardcore runner. Yeah, I was a hardcore runner. Yeah, I was a, a very competitive. And hardcore. now cyclist. Yeah, but I'm not. A, I'm too old to be a good cyclist. I love to ride, but I'm not. I'm I'm a, I'm too old. You're to never be. too what old I- to be a good cyclist, right, Dad? Well, <laughs> what I always say is that if you were to add up all of Tim's life experiences sequentially and put them back to back on the amount of time he spent on all of them. He's actually 237 years old. Yeah. So mm-hmm. worth of experience. You've lived a yeah. long, good life. What's your, what's your favorite part of all of it? If you could go back and relive one segment of that life, what would you, what would you want to go back and relive? Um, I think I'd go back and be an archeological assistant in oh, that's Britain. Uh, <laughs> about that. <laughs> I'd go back and work on Roman digs like I did. Um, I, I was living, we lived in a small village in rural England and I got up every day and went to work on Roman archaeology. And then you in the did? evening, yeah. And then in the evening we would have to go to the pubs in the villages in the, in the area and talk to farmers about what they were turning over in their fields. Wow. Oh my gosh. And so that was my job. And ah. so like I would go with the archaeologist and we'd sit in the pub and I'd play darts or or um, dominoes and just talk to farmers about, are you turning anything up? And can we come, if they were like, yeah, we, we, can we come in your field and walk it and see if what, 
what it is. And then we'd walk the fields if they said they were turning up cut stone or pottery or something. Oh, my goodness. And then we'd identify it and then try to figure out whether there was a site there to dig. And and I, I just had a lot of, it was such a real, I would say, uh, earthy experience of being able to live in a country and be a part of the fabric of a small village for that, for almost a, you know, seven or eight months, I think I was there, but we were there longer, but I did that job for that long. And I think I'd go back to that because, you know, you're, you, when you live in a village and they come to the door and say the ships are in and the fish, the chippy is frying today. Mm-hmm. And so everybody goes down to the fish and chip shop and gets the fish because it's come in on the boat. Uh, that's fresh. like, that's like who got, to, I got to do that. And yeah. and most people never get an Was that before Rockstar? No, I was in the middle of it. It okay. was in the middle of it. I, um, I was, when I was, uh, when you talk about your son earlier as mm-hmm, a good drummer, mm-hmm. I was one of those kids who was known as a guitar player at a young age and mm. was in a, um, well, I was in a, a black blues and soul review thing when I was 16. And then, <laughs> that um, so? and, and yes. And the guy that was the main dude, he was older and <laughs> he had over time hired about, he hired, I guess it was three of us and that were young, um, white kids because we were kind of savant musicians and could and so the three of us eventually left him and formed a band that was pretty cool is that <laughs> yeah. okay so we're, we're gonna do a segment later called ask tim anything and, and we're gonna ask you these questions and my daughter called me a couple maybe an hour ago like she does every day to tell me she got home from school safe and just for kicks i said do you have any questions for pastor tim Ayers? she's like no I'm like, well, do you do you have any Bible questions at all? She's like, well, I have questions, but I don't have Bible questions. She's like, I want to know about his music, because we oh, were at a house party cool. where somebody played us. There's a storm in my heart for the weather girl. Yeah, and that's like one moment in like, you know, decades of music. It's, it blew it's, her mind, my mind as well. Blew all of our minds, because I don't know you hardly at all. So. Yeah, I wrote that. I wrote that song literally about the weather girl on channel 13 she was this chick named nancy rogers and she was pretty and she was only on on the weekends and and, this is awesome and and she had and i I, and she's not going to hear this but she had a cocked eye and there's just something remotely sexual sexy about a girl with a cocked eye um, so anyway, so and so we my wife and i would talk about it you know about her how she had this she was on and she was just cool and but she was only on like once every you know two nights yeah. a week on the late night weather and so i i thought i just thought the song up there's a storm in my heart for the weather girl and the lyrics are all it's are so all, catchy and the lyrics are all actually i think they're clever you know mm-hmm. is there a recording out out in the wild that we could like listen to it what's on could you play oh. a segment of that tyler <laughs> yeah we'll look you it up it? as we're talking but um the thing was that when the record, when the when the band had made the video, and we we had to go meet her and get her approval. Oh wow! To release the song as Channel Thirteen, and actually at the time the deal was that they were going to re-record it for the whole country, and we were going to sing every channel number there was, oh, so they goodness. could put it into market. So I was we were going to do that, but that that wow. whole the, that deal fell through. But anyway, the the thing was I had to sit across the table from her at lunch. And and say to her, you know, I, I can we do this? Are you? I wrote a song about you. And be there with my wife. So, and it was kind. It was you know. It was uh, it was a little, a little bit awkward to be there with my wife talking to. Her. 
the best part was that she became a friend of the band and started oh. following the band around. Yeah, so. that's amazing. Well, but that wow. was that was a fun period. I, in fact, there was just discovered a um, live recording of that band live at the patio when we were like at our most mean and vicious <laughs> and tom doherty took you know tom doherty yeah. he took it to his studio and it's just a stereo cassette but he took it and he re um remastered it yeah kind of he really just eq'd it and it's good <laughs> that's awesome and, and so i have it and wow. i haven't nobody else has heard it just a, my wife and i've listened to it and tom and well, you know, we're 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 releasing our own music now as Grace Church. Brad was here last week. Will was here last week. Maybe we can get some Tim Ayers original. No, this, no, this is like no, <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it, the music was cool. I mean, it's '80s music. It's definitely '80s music. Do you have it, any idea how much of a comeback '80s music has made, particularly among our high schoolers? Like, well, it's I, I can understand huge. that. I can understand that. We were a. We were, um, that particular band had a funny name. It was Cousins from Venus. It was originally your Cousins from Venus because we wanted to have, a, it'd be like naming a band the band I used to be in. You know, it's like any, or your parents. That was one of my favorite names of a band, your parents. <laughs> Where are you going tonight? Well, I'm going to see your parents. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. And, uh, but the band was just pure 80s, uh, big synth pop. Uh, That's awesome. We we for a while the drummer just used roto toms. Oh my goodness, yes. You know, what are what are roto toms? I don't know what that is. What is that? They're they're these flat drums that are only about yeah oh twelve inches. They go from about six inches up to about twenty four inches. Hear them and you can turn them. Yeah, they go. And he's like whole classic eighties thing like. Yeah, that's exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and the whole kit was just roto toms. Like don't Phil even Collins? mess with the snare. Don't even mess with any other. Well, part. I think he had a snare, but <laughs> but he had no toms. He just had all these roto toms, and he had a fives kick drum. You know those other old uh, plat like plastic see through drums. You oh, know kind of. Oh yeah. And he just had one head on it, so it just kind of sounded like a roto. -tom. <laughs> it was it was just really ridiculous. But yeah, it was fun. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Great question, Des. You know, if I had the synthesizers that we had in that band now, oh, oh my gosh, we used, you'll know that we used an Oberheim 2 voice, big, the big, boom, 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 like that. And we had a Poly 6, Cork Poly 6. <laughs> and uh, we had a, a Ferron, Ferriman, one of those. Oh, Ferriman. Ferriman. Yeah, we had yeah. one of those. Oh I mean, my yeah, we gosh. had all kinds of cool stuff. That's amazing. Yeah. What's the name of that song? Storm in My Heart for the Weather Girl. I think it was on YouTube when I was... Yeah, it's on YouTube. Uh, that video is on YouTube. That's the only band I've been in where we thought humor was the most important aspect of the band. <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> Cousins that's, from Venus? That's it. That's it. Okay. I can't believe you're playing this. Is that is that her in the video? No. Oh. No, she wouldn't be in the video, no. She said that we ruined her career. Oh, no! Because it forced her to just be a weather girl. Oh. She wanted to be a newscaster. Oh, dear. You could still put newscaster in the same, in Weather Girl. No, because all, all of the references were weather re references. That's that big Oberheim. So this is you singing. Yeah. I see that same sweet smile 
in the video, is that the actual weather? No. Okay. Uh, no. that people just don't realize. I thought that was the best yes. one. <laughs> Very Cars-esque. Okay. Cars that line said, by the far away look in her eyes, at live we would yell, far away look in her one cocked eye, oh and it just God. brought the house. Oh my God. <laughs> So did you do any singing at Grace Church? No, not really. How long have you been here? First day. Oh, my goodness. But now you this played, is you my played wife. a lot. That's my wife and my sister oh, wow. when they come on there. We were sponsored by Merry-Go-Round, if you remember that store. Oh, my yeah. goodness. They gave oh, those, wow. yeah, that all those clothes they have on her from Merry-Go-Round. Sunglasses. I mean, they just... Yeah. That's amazing. The hair. Awesome. That's pretty great. <laughs> it was fun. We were a popular band. <laughs> we were a lot of fun. That's awesome. So were you a popular band in, like in Indiana or national? Or? No, it was mostly Midwest. The video was on that back then. MTV had just started. And the most popular show at the time was Ted Turner's Night Flight or Friday oh, yeah. Night Videos or something like that. And so our people put us on there, which was the huge mistake because yeah. if they'd have put us on, because nobody knew whether MTV was going to happen. And so we were in rotation. We were on Entertainment Tonight. Oh, my goodness. Hmm. That kind of That's stuff. That's awesome. Um, it, it's, uh, yeah, it was a real deal, but um, it was fun. <laughs> All right, let's turn the corner. Let's dig into uh, what we talked about this weekend. Uh, you talked about Mary and hope. Mm. And uh, as we're in the middle of uh, our Christmas series called A Thrill of Hope, I remember last week you were walking around uh, the building kind of asking staff members, do you know what a thrill of hope means? And I was part of that group, and I just kind of looked at you blankly. Like, <laughs> right, that's what most people did. Yeah, yeah. and so that's how you kind of started this past weekend. Um, can you talk a little bit about why you were asking that question and then maybe state the big idea of what you had, you had to say this weekend? Well, I, I started with that because first off the phrase itself is somewhat difficult to understand a thrill of hope. I mean, we've sung it so many times that we just have an assumption of what it means, but I, if it said the thrill of hope, like if it'd been the thrill of hope, I would have thought, that people would have had a better way to understand it because it it becomes a thing as opposed to, but a thrill. It's like, I, I couldn't figure it out. Mm. And so I just wanted to see what people thought about it. And I asked around, I had already actually done the background work on it and knew the derivation of the word and how it had changed. And to know that it was a mining term, mm. it, a thrill was when you break through a hard space. 
and knowing when the song was written, I'm sure that that was more what the person. That's what he was, meant. Yeah, I'm sure it was something like that because he the rest of the language works like that. Interestingly, the history of the song was was that the the guy that wrote it wrote it for some sort of organ organ they just finished building a new organ and they were going to introduce this new organ and they asked this guy to write the song for it and he wasn't really christian in any way any hmm. religious very much but he was a person they knew who could write poetry hmm. and he wrote that and i'm sure that's what he was thinking and and it was written in french and and the same word is in the french or a form of the same word is in the french so when I heard you describing that, it, I couldn't help but think about the Kool Aid Man breaking through a wall—a thrill of Kool Aid. <laughs> oh yeah! Oh my gosh! Yeah. That's fun. I thought we'd bring that back you, the '80s that again. You took us through the etymology of that word. That was fascinating. Well, it also then gave me um, a rubric, if you will, to work with for the rest of the sermon. Yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. Because the the truth is, the biggest of ideas of the sermon was that God is in the business of turning the injustice in the world on its head Hmm. and that the coming of Jesus is the, is, is seeped in him doing that in that story. And he wants to, he still is about doing that. Mm -hmm. And that's, and, and so I wanted to talk about it that way. And I wanted to give us something so that we could, I could keep coming back to a phrase, a thrill of hope. And everybody would now know what I was talking about, which was a, breakthrough sure yeah so and you talked a lot about i mean you you described in all the different various ways just how low on the totem pole mary would have been in that society for being a girl for her age for for being poor from being rural like right what was it about all of that 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 you think led to mary being the one that 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 is so highly favored by god does that make sense like what do do you feel like god picked her on purpose. Oh, absolutely. I think he picked her on purpose. I think he found, he well, he knew her. I, I don't even know how to talk about that. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. But Before the foundation of the world. Yeah, but he knew, he knew enough about, he, he could have chosen any, any young woman and he chose her for reasons of her heart. But he also knew that if we kept the story as it actually is presented to us in the text, if we kept looking at it like that, then he would have known, I mean, we would have known that he did this. What's happened is that the story, this is why, I don't know if you noticed, but I just went on and on about her situation. I Mm -hmm. talked about all, I talked about engagement, Mm -hmm. I talked about all kinds of stuff, which the purpose was to let everyone know more of the truth about the, the, the deeper meaning of the story. And, you know, I wish I got to preach the one that Amy's doing next about the shepherds, because the shepherds, mm. the shepherds are even more a picture of the exact same thing. Hmm. Just nobodies or. Yeah. The, uh, they were the only people who by profession were considered unclean. There the, and the, and the whole thing about the birth of Jesus in this there mm. I hate to I'm a break spoiler it, alert yeah but there's no there's no inn <laughs> in Bethlehem there would have never been an inn in Bethlehem that word that tells us about the space is the guest space in a in a first century home and the house was probably full of men who were there for the tax purposes Mary's with him probably because her family has said I, we want nothing to do with you and so he has to bring her with him because she has no one there's no chance on the planet that a 
young girl going to have a baby is going to be anywhere but with her family and her mother and their aunts and everybody there to have the baby. Where is she? She's three days journey away from her home with Joseph. And they put her in the space where the animals are. That space is probably, there's no room in the guest space. So they put her where the animals are because the animals are what? Unclean. And who can, and she's going to have a baby and fill the room with fluids, which are what? unclean mm. and who are the only people in, in the Jewish mm. world who are constantly unclean until they go and clean up to go into the temple shepherds and so it's like that Jesus is bringing mm. shepherds in they're the only people who can walk into the space and not feel badly about it wow when you were talking through that I mean Marin, I want to know you're nine months pregnant you gotta <laughs> you gotta walk to clear, 70 folks, miles to be clear she not is not currently nine pregnant. months pregnant well you okay imagine <laughs> I mean you've You've been nine months pregnant. I have twice. You you're three. You go on a three day journey. Somebody says you can't. I've always thought of it as an inn, but you can't you can't come in here. Mm-hmm. No room, right? You got to go somewhere else. Mm-hmm. What do you do? <laughs> you burn the place down. My wife would have burned the place down. No, I don't burn things down typically. <laughs> nine months pregnant. No. So no. I mean, there's such a human aspect to this story. Um, when you're going to have a baby, you're just going to have a baby. And it doesn't matter if it's in a taxi cab or in a fancy hospital. Like, when it happens, it's just going to happen. Yeah, yeah. But. She meant business. This baby was going to be born. I remember. We have one child, and I remember what it would I can imagine what it would have been like if we had to walk three days, and then <laughs> somebody told us there wasn't any room. She probably rode a donkey. I don't know that that's any better, but she probably did. <laughs> I mean, um, maybe a little bit better, but wow. I can, yeah, I, I know that he was, he seems to, Joseph seems to have been a really good man. Yeah. And I'm confident that he was taking care of her sure. in any, the best way he could have. I find it interesting that, that the book of Luke doesn't really talk about Joseph at all. Matthew is where we get their information about Luke. Wanting to wanting to end the engagement quietly and oh, all mean, that about Joseph, Joseph. about Joseph. I'm sorry. Engagement. What did I say? Yeah. You said Luke. No, the book of Luke. But there's Ma- no in- Matthew gives us more of an indication, <laughs> is what you're saying. The book of Luke has nothing about right. Joseph. The book of Matthew is where we understand that Joseph right. was right. a good man. I'm sorry. Yeah. You got it. Right. Was, we're, we're we got there. We're we got there. <laughs> right. So you talk a little bit about Mary being favored by God, and I want to hear a little bit of what you said here. The truth is, we're not given any of these details. But what we do know is that when Gabriel showed up and he greeted Mary by saying, greeting favored woman, the Lord is with you, we know why this confused and disturbed Mary. She was a young girl living in a world that honored age. And she was a young girl living in a world that was run by older men. And she was a poor villager in a society that favored the city rich over the rural poor. But yet God favored her. I thought that was really cool that you drew that out, that she's living in a world that doesn't see her as valuable. No, in fact, um, her value as a human being would not have had any, it would have, she would never have merited any value until she'd had a baby. Wow. And the fact that she was about to be pregnant out of wedlock. That was a problem. That would have ruined any possibility for her having any value at all. Mm-hmm. So it's, um, yeah, him saying, you who are highly favored, even calling her woman, 
is mm. uh, dignifying. Dignifying, yeah. Mm. When I was in Cambodia, I was there working with an organization that worked a lot with girls that were trafficked, sex trafficking, and and brothels and such. And I learned that there's a, a sort of a, a phrase that people say in Cambodia that they say, um, men are like gold, women are like white cloth. And what they the reason they say that is if you get gold dirty, you can wash it, rinse it off, wipe it off, and it's as good as new. If you get white cloth dirty, you can wash it, but it's never going to be as bright and and clean as it as it used to be. And the, the the thinking is, if a woman is somehow soiled by sexual contact with a man, she's soiled goods. She's she's no good. I assume that similar. Yeah, mindset the, was was happening back then. Absolutely, the reason that they would, the reason that Augusta or Augustus made the law the, for the entire empire that girls couldn't be em, uh, engaged until they were ten, is because the thinking was if you could get them engaged young enough pre-puberty, that there was less of a chance that they would be spoiled by anybody before they got married. Wow. And so the, the marrying them off at 12 and a half, the rabbis forced the 12-year age on them. But even then, you know, they didn't consider them to be human, fully formed human beings until they were 13 anyway. And so the, they mostly got married around 13, but then they wanted to... And, and But the younger they are, if you can get them pre-puberty, then you've got a better chance of knowing that nothing's happened to them in the meantime. And then they also get more years to uh, make babies for you. The law was that you could divorce uh, your wife after seven years if she didn't produce a baby simply on the grounds that she hadn't produced a baby, that there was something amiss, there's something wrong with her and that you could divorce her for that. And so, you know... If you've got, if your first seven years are by 19, you know, that they're thinking that, and if you don't marry till 20, then you lose that good space there. Yeah. yeah. Mm. It's kind of, it's one of those things when you start to realize just what life was like for mm -hmm. women back then, you start to realize just how provocative the ministry of Jesus was having conversations alone with women, uh, having women followers, you know, healing women and, and like the things that, that he did, I imagine would have done more than just raise eyebrows. It, it really... It's like scandalous. Yeah. Because it's easy with a modern lens to look at the story of Jesus and be like, oh, he surrounded himself with dudes. He had 12 disciples. They were all men. Like, he's just part of the patriarchy. But when you really look at the story, you realize that in his world, he was like very, very, very provocative. Yeah? Right. I would agree. And also the Bible itself as a text is so unusual. I mean, I think it's unique, and I'm uh, unique in the truest sense to other ancient texts in the way that it deals with women. If you start right at the very beginning and you go straight through Genesis, you're constantly confronted with women who are characters that they may not to us seem at first glance to be fully formed, but when you dig into some of the things like with Tamar and Hagar and Sarah and some of these characters and and contextualize them, then suddenly you realize that this book is doing, God is doing something through this book to tell us about the value of half of humanity that the world has, at that time even, was rejecting. The, those stories, and they are so out of uh, touch with with what most people were writing about when it came to women. If you and, and you get into Greco-Roman period and they're writing about women, I, I, I don't know very much other than the Bible, really, that talks about women in any other way than just body 
or ridicule. And and remember, even in drama in the ancient world, women were not allowed to be play parts of women. Mm-hmm. That, that men played the parts of women. And so it's not, it was never, women were never favored. In fact, they felt that in the womb, one of the last things that developed was your gender and that women were actually, they, the term was half-baked, that if a woman had actually fully formed in the womb, she would have eventually become a man. But when the women came out as girls, when girls came out, they just knew that they hadn't fully formed. There's a, the Jews were the only people in the Greco-Roman world that didn't practice the father, the, the husband or the father of the girl had the choice to leave a girl out in the, and let her die. Mm-hmm. The Jews were the only ones that did not did yeah. not do that. In fact, that's why so many you find so many uh, Gentile men wanting to marry Jewish women because there was a shortage of women in the Roman world during the first century simply because so many girls were being left outside because mm-hmm. men the uh, the older men did not want the girls. When did this all start? Because I mean, it's taken this long just to for Americans to be like, yeah, there's a problem with men and women unequality and stuff like that. Like when did, has it been that way ever since Adam and Eve? Like I'd say yes, because you have to remember that if you want to undermine God's initial intentions, let's start with his most precious uh, product, if you will, or creation. And if you, his intentions were about, were, were for us to have a relationship with one another that was based on equality mm. and based on equal dignity. And if you want to get to the core of wrecking what God has done because you hate it, let's just go after that one. Yeah. So at some point, men were like, we're better, you're nothing, and we're going to do that from now on. Absolutely. But it's all about physical strength. It's physical strength. Okay. So physical strength is the... You start with physical strength, and then you start, and then you move to sequestering. That's why, um, you know, it's against the law to teach... Jewish girls to read. Yeah. And, and that's a fa- that's a fast way to keep them from getting anywhere. Uh, the system always works for the strong and the powerful hmm. and it it just works that way. You talked a little bit about um and it's something that I've thought a lot about like how did Mary go about explaining this to people? Like the angel showed up in her life, similar to last week, angel shows up to Zechariah, says something that's really inexplicable, but super hopeful and joyful. Smash cut to trying to tell your parents that you're pregnant. You talked a little bit about this, but. Well, I talked about it in terms of that she's going to have to do it. Yeah. And, and we knowing, don't. knowing part of the cultural consequences that are going to come with judgment and ridicule. And you said maybe like life threatening. Right. Well, it wouldn't have been beyond um, thought to to kill her for family honor. Now, the, the Jews were not known for that. You know, really, the Jews were not known for that. But who knows? Yeah. We don't know. And I said uh, that, oddly, her f- parents play no part in the story. And I think it's because they played no part in the story. They were done with it. Yeah. I think we have a clip on that. You know, for most 14-year-old, first-century girls, hearing that they were going to be pregnant out of wedlock and that their defense was this happened by the miraculous power of the Holy Spirit, this would have sounded like a death sentence, and I mean literally a death sentence. Literally. 
even when you throw in all the positives. Uh, Gabriel said, your son will be great, and he'll be called the son of God, and even he will sit on the throne of David forever and ever, and even that stuff for most young girls, these things would have, those would have been relatively unhelpful because all they would have been able to think about was the shame of the coming next nine months. You know what I love about this podcast is that like three weeks ago, we talked to Melody Boyer. We talked about Rahab and she's a prostitute. And my question at that time was, there, there's a lot of prostitutes talked about with these guys right in the Bible. And Barry, your comment was, well, you got to remember the cultural situation was women weren't valued the same way that men were and actually had no human value in a lot of cases. And their only option was something like prostitution. And so knowing that context of the conversation and hearing what you just said, Tim, about here's some consequences that were coming Mary's way culturally, it's great for someone like me who doesn't isn't aware of all this at first to hear this and be like, oh, I'm putting the pieces together because if what happens to Mary is what you're saying, like she could have turned out like Rahab, right? Yeah. And we, we had Maggie Johnson on last week um, talking about Prepare Him Room, the uh, Advent devotional that she wrote. And she read for us a, an excerpt where she describes five women in the lineage of Jesus um, and how... Uh, it would have been scandalous to the intended Jewish reader for for these women to be mentioned in the genealogy. She talked about Rahab. She talked about Tamar. She talked about Ruth. Bathsheba. She talked about Bathsheba. Uh, there, a, a lot of these women. Well, they all they all have um, something about them that separates them from what you would want to have in your genealogy. For sure. Yeah. They are. Now remember, Matthew writes the book to the Jewish population. And these are people that the Jews would have known as figures from their, mm -hmm. their past, from study or hearing the stories and stuff. But they are all they are all um, outside. They're either Gentile or they're Gentile and stained. Mm -hmm. You know, they're all outside of the. I don't know about Bathsheba; she's probably Jewish, but she's married to a Hittite. <laughs> you know? Something. Yeah, and then she had an, an affair. Right, she's the object of adulterous affections, yeah. is the way Maggie so. put it. Yeah, It's just so cool to put the pieces together and then hear you say that about Mary, knowing some of the conversations we've had on this podcast and be like, oh, it makes sense that she would be so scared of all of this because she could see what's what's ahead of her if the pieces don't go right. But also, she just heard that she's favored by God and you're talking about a thrill of hope, like she's choosing to push through anyways. Right. And mm -hmm. I, I just think that's, that's a way I've never even looked at this story. That's fascinating. Yeah. The fact that she chooses to believe God. Yeah. And then God shows, gives her a good reason to, to trust him when she gets to Elizabeth's house and they, they go through all the stuff that's there. We don't know what they talked about for the rest of the three months, but it started off well. Yeah. And um, it it prepped her for the next six months. Mm -hmm. What what did you leave out of this sermon that you wish you could have said? We ask all of our guests that, by the way, just because this is Monday morning quarterback time, right? Like when you review everything that happened over the weekend, is there if if there was anything that you didn't get a chance to say, this is your platform. Now you get a chance. 
there wasn't or anything time. you cut because of time. Yeah. yeah. Well, I don't know that I would have. I don't know that I would have said more about the story, the passage. I might have been more personal about the things that I said were a part of Mary's life. I, I, I didn't have space to really say much about what it is to f- feel. And I specifically used the word humiliation because the humiliation is the Greek. When she says he has taken notice of the humiliation of his slave girl, mm. and, I, and I specifically focused on that word at mm-hmm. the end of the sermon because it is humiliation when you're when you're condescended to and when you don't feel like you measure up or when people are maligning you it probably i probably would have it probably would have been more of a a closer touch to people's hearts if i'd actually talked about something specific but then i, I was thinking well you know i don't have time and the other thing is this is not about me yeah it's not about me and I got a lot of heads nodding when I said, I'm sure who of us does not know what it feels like to be from the bottom of the mm-hmm. barrel. So true. And uh, a lot of times people don't believe that pastors, in particular people that are in big churches that they don't really think they can ever talk to, would have it, have like normal human emotions. The truth is we're, we're just regular people. Yeah. I wonder if she even knows what impact she has on other folks, Mary, I wonder if she ever knew it seems that like what she, she was in doing the magnificent she said, and now yeah. from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Yeah. That's she had some fascinating. Right. Yeah. I thought that was interesting that she said that, um, that she had that kind of hope. Yeah, that's, that's one of those things that is, is a little bit challenging for us to, to wrap our minds around because we are upper middle-class suburban Americans as far as the world scheme, as the world, you know, spectrum goes, we're doing pretty well. We're educated. We're wealthy uh, on a on a global. If you yes. look global, oh my goodness, we're yeah. rich compared to yeah. global so, standards. As as Christ followers living in this place, I find it it's actually really hard sometimes to really grasp the idea that God radically identifies with those who are humiliated because yeah. we do everything we can not to mm-hmm. be humiliated. Right. We, we right. It's super important. Design our to me. entire lives around not being. Uh, the least of these. Being and yet, humiliated is the worst. And yet those are the ones that God seems to rush to. There's something that, that Philippians 2 keeps coming to my mind. Uh, this this hymn in, in this book of Philippians that Paul talks about what happened to Christ. It said, even though he was in very nature, he was God, mm-hmm. he humiliated himself. Hmm. He humbled himself and became a servant and he became obedient to death. I mean, he he. this is, this is not just who God loves. This is who God became. Mm-hmm. Right. The... That word in the Greek that gives us humble is a word that is, it is never something in the ancient world that you do to yourself. It's always something that is done to you. To be humbled means that someone in a powerful position lowers your status. For for Jesus to then humble himself is like counterintuitive. It's like something no one would ever do. Humil- humility was not a virtue. Hmm. It was the result of someone else's putting it on you to lower you. And so, yeah, it's really, when she says you have taken notice of the humiliation of your servant girl, it's, it's a sign that he's, it's not just her low status, it's that somebody's done it to her. Hmm. So when she says that he has exalted the humble, 
she's saying that he's exalted the outcasts the ones who have been humiliated who've been humbled mm. because they were they're not humble simply because they're not all about themselves or they're just poor they've been made humble yeah they have someone. no choice someone has done it to them yeah mm. well the beatitudes jesus is saying blessed are those who are poor and that in poverty is a systemic issue blessed are those who are you know, searching for justice because they have been that justice hasn't been taken has been taken away from them. Those who are looking for peace because of the violence of the world. So yeah, it, I mean, this is this is a very upside down countercultural God that we serve. Can you imagine the difference in the story if the person who was the mother of Jesus had been the daughter of the high priest? Hmm. Then we would have a very very different story. Mm-hmm. Jesus's birth would have been first off the coming of the angel would have been told in a completely different way. I don't I don't even know how that would have worked, but mm-hmm. the birth of this child into the most important family in the It's the probably realm. what people were more expecting, right? Yes, they, from a messiah. They, yeah, they weren't expecting a, a birth from a virgin, but they were expecting someone who would come through the line of David yeah. in a stronger way than the way that Jesus came. Why would they not have expected a birth through a virgin when, like, for us, we've just got these books all neatly assembled and we can go back and cross-reference where the scripture tells us that, behold, a virgin will conceive and bring forth a son. And They, they weren't using any of the scriptures that we look at to look for the Messiah. The only one they used and got right was where he would be born. <laughs> and unfortunately... That's the one place where there's tragedy by their having it right because oh, right. scholars tell Herod mm-hmm. that he will be born in Bethlehem and they get that one right. And then he sends soldiers to kill every baby under the age of two. Mm-hmm. And, and, and they think it's about seven children, the size of Bethlehem at the time, but still seven children. Yeah. Years ago, I saw a painting uh, of the, it's called the slaughter of the innocents, and it's a Roman soldier sliding a knife or a sword through a child. And Why are you looking at this? Oh, it's, it's a famous art painting. Oh. It's a, it's like a, uh, it was in, I think it's a, it may be Rembrandt or something. It's a mm-hmm. very famous okay. painting. It's a famous painting. But the, there was some article about it about the author being convinced that those who lost their babies someday, also stood in the place and saw healing through Jesus and had some kind of epiphanal moment that Hmm. their child was lost in the service of bringing salvation to the rest of the world. It just caught me off guard. Yeah. I just never thought about anything. Yeah. Well, thanks for giving us that message this weekend. Uh, I, for one, have loved both weeks of this series, and I'm looking forward to hearing from Amy Mm -hmm. next week. And, uh, yeah. So thank you. Let's switch gears again. And uh, we asked our listeners to give us some questions that they may have burning for for you, Tim. Um, We are calling this segment Ask Tim Anything. And so we got a handful, quite a bit of questions. We probably won't get through all of them, but thank you listeners for submitting your questions. They're they're all really interesting and and fascinating stuff. So we're going to get through as many as we can. But is that all right, Tim? You don't yeah, know, you okay, don't know yeah. what these questions yeah. are, and so we're just gonna kind of fire yeah, them off no, and okay. see what you got. Marin, do you have a our do first I have a, one? A favorite one? Yeah. Do you want me to just go like run them down? Yeah, whatever the way that you want. Written? Whatever you want. This one's good. Bob submitted a question. He says, "If you could go back and change one decision about your personal life, what would it be?" Decision about my personal life? 
That's what Bob's asking. If there's anything you could redo or do over. Absolutely. I'll tell you exactly what it is. I knew you would have it. It's when I was a when I was a sophomore in high school, um, I was a, a good track runner. But I was also a musician. In those days, in the middle late middle late sixties, you could not be both because athletes and musicians were in two completely different social groups. The track coach, I broke my arm my sophomore year in track season, and it took me out of the track season for the most part. And I grew my hair out during that time because I was going to want to be, I was getting better on the guitar. And they came to me then when cross country and track started up, and they said, you can't run unless you cut your hair. You're going to have to make a choice. <laughs> I made the choice to not run. Yeah. I grew my hair out. And I became a musician purely for a while before I came back into running, which was at a later time. But so if that I'd song have, like almost cut my hair. That was about you. I could have been, yeah, <laughs> David Crosby. <laughs> but I, uh, I wish I'd have I'd have said to myself, you know, your hair will grow back. You've got. I wish someone would have said to me, your talent is good enough that you could you could probably go to any college you would like to go to on the run as a runner and nobody said anything to me about it. Nobody's mm. nobody ever. It was just like, okay, he's a, he's an idiot. He's going to grow his hair out. He can't be on a track team. And I wish I'd have cut my hair because I, I could have, I could have gone anywhere. Now I went to the mm. university of Evansville. I did well there. It was a really good school and I ran there and uh, and my life was changed by very, being there in certain directions. But when I think about what I might have been able to do if I'd have just said, okay, Tim, your hair is not that important. You can still play the guitar. I know that all the hippie kids will make fun of you, but you can have two things that are important to you. And back then I saw, I, I thought there could only be one. Yeah. And I would change that. Well, I, for one, am glad that you did not <clears throat> cut your hair because we have you here today. And I, if you could go back and do that, it would create a temporal rift and a time paradox. Yes. Oh, no. Yes. <laughs> In a Biff universe, yeah, That's right. with Biff at, uh, as our leader. No, don't want that. Mm-mm. And you got a really awesome story out of it. <laughs> I did not cut my what hair. What a weird rule. You can't run track if you don't cut, cut your, your hair. hair. It's they, aerod- aerodynamics, right? They they threatened to take my letter back. Oh, my goodness. They didn't. Hmm. But that's neither here nor there. <laughs> yeah. Excellent question, Bob. Yeah, thanks, Bob. Uh, Carrie asks, what are you most proud of after all your time and experience with Grace Church and its people? Most proud of? Yep. I I can tell you that immediately. The day in 2008 when we were having trouble with money because of the downturn in the economy, and we knew that we had to start a disability ministry at Grace Church. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. everybody around the table said, this is too important at this time, even with the money the way it is, we're all going to find a way to cut 10% out of all of our budgets and we're going to start lift. Mm. And we didn't call it lift then, but it was the same it's lift. And we did it at the worst possible time financially. And it was the, the most heartfelt cool moment I think I've ever had here because we knew why we were here yep. mm. and God was in that moment. And I'm as pr- that I'm more proud of that very moment than any other moment, probably because we made a big decision that has had great impact in the least of these lives. If yeah. You get it. Wow. Unifying and yeah, like no question. This is, this is the right thing to do. 
I know there are other churches in the area that aren't quite as equipped as we are to handle certain uh, types of needs, and they've referenced families to come to our church because of the, the lift program that we have. I had a dear friend whose son was trapped in the birth canal as he was being born, and he has cerebral palsy. Now, I was at the hospital, and it's a long story, but uh, I was present at his birth right there at the hospital when this all happened. And his parents, both the parents are anatomy professors at Rush Medical School. And the mm. wife who had the baby had written, I believe she'd written her doctoral dissertation on cerebral palsy caused by birth canal mm. whatevers. And, and you want to talk about knowing too oh much. Oh, my goodness. And, so, and they, the deep, deep people of faith, and as uh, Samuel grew up, um, they went to his particular church. And as he got bigger, he, it, he got... He was in a wheelchair, and they asked the church that they attended if they could build a ramp someplace so he could come in without them having to have him go through the indignity of being picked up now mm. as a teenage boy mm. and carried up these long steps in front of this colonial Baptist church. Mm. And they said flat out, no, we would rather that you went to a different church because the architectural scheme here is just far too important to us to wow. have to ruin wow. it with a ramp. Oh my. And that that so inflamed me mm. that when the day came, I mean, I didn't have anything to do. Molly Moore was the person who was the most uh, behind the beginning of that, mm. as I recall. But the whole thing, that came, when it came up here that we were going to do that, it just took me back to that moment. And I was just not going to let it die. Mm. And I'm, that's why I'm so proud of it, because we had, we could have made the other choice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was in uh, special ed before I came to this church, and uh, I had friends back home. We worked with uh, students that had severe and profound needs. Mm. And by far the thing that I was the most just over the moon about. I mean, I, I came here to do music, but I was over the moon about the Lyft Center. And I took pictures and I, I sent them to my teacher friends back home. And can you believe that this is a church? This isn't a school. This is a church. There are resources within that Lyft program that I haven't even seen in schools that I've worked in. It's that amazing. I volunteered there a few weeks ago, several weeks ago, and it was on a weekend service with some of the kids with Lyft. And it was just, I agree with what you guys are saying, and I feel like it is so us as a church to have that. It just, it fills me with joy to know mm -hmm. that we are a church that that cares about those with disabilities. Mm -hmm. um, so I have, I have a, another question here uh, that Colt asked, and this is going to probably get into a little bit of a different vein in our conversation. But Colt asked, how should we address or engage with the current events and the 24-hour news cycle as Christians? And I guess I'll add on to that. What, as Christ followers, should we be doing maybe even on our social media or in our, in our conversations? Is it better for us to stay silent about political stuff? Is it, is it important for us to, to find the things that really matter and put our foot down? What exactly is our approach meant to be as Christ followers in this world where the news cycle is constantly bombarding us? Right. I think we need to be um, wise enough to, I would say, triage the news. Some things we can do something about. Some things don't touch our lives and we can't do anything about it. Some things we we have to do something about it as Christians. And I think the primary, uh, I, I think we should know as much as we can possibly know about everything that's going on in a, I, I like to say in sort of a neutral way. That's what I, I'll be honest. I read the BBC. I listen to the BBC. I listen to NPR. 
I try to get as much stuff as I can in a that's just flat news as much as possible because I don't think we're really called we're not really called to enter into the temporal arguments of the day I think we're called to deal with the systemic issues of that are that are the pro- the pro- the problems of that are causing the things that are actually causing where we are mm. I don't have any social um presence i don't you know in social media social media presence yeah i don't have much social presence <laughs> but, uh, the but i try not to i try not to get engaged in that stuff and because i think uh, that what we need to ha- we need to continually be thinking about these high level solutions to these problems so i i wrestle with this a lot because i i'm also like you i i try to know as much as i can about as much as i can and I run into people like family or friends who say things like, man, I just can't, I just can't engage with the news. I just cannot. It bums me out. It's always sad. And my response mentally is always like, man, what a great life that must be where you can just kind of like ignore what's going on and just focus on whatever is important to you. And it's tough because you're right. Like it's hard, it's hard enough to get a neutral perspective, but once you have this information or want to engage in, at some level, I often find myself engaging with people that either aren't interested at all or are very polarized in their interest. I tend to hold back on conversation until I'm with people that I know want to engage on it. I'll be honest, uh, uh, I'm going to talk about Tom Doherty, but he's writing a record, a really cool record right now, and it's going to be angry and confrontational and a lot of, it, it's very political. And I'm helping him write the songs. And much of his tone is not necessarily the, to the degree that mine is, but this is one way that I think I'm, I can help him say what he wants to say in the best way possible so that he can reach as many people as he possibly can because otherwise I think if I were not helping be a, I would say a governor on what he's doing, it might turn out to be so in your face and aggressive that nobody will listen to it. Mm-hmm. And there is something about great art or great conversation and all of those things, which is a give and take where you're actually having to use your mind. Most of what's happening is mindless. Mm-hmm. And I, th- I just find that I want us as a Christian community to be the smartest and the and the most gracious people possible. Mm. And when I speak about, I don't want to talk about stuff so often that nobody wants to hear what I have to say. True. I, it's when I, because I don't talk about stuff very often publicly, but when I do, people actually listen because it's unusual. It's like I've never me. heard him talk about this before. Right, yeah. yeah. And that's the way I want it to be. Um, but I also want to speak, I, I'm a big believer in a deep well. I want to have a deep well if I'm going to talk about anything. Mm-hmm. And because I don't want to be just shooting with some hearsay or something that's, mm-hmm. that I just ran into online. You know, I want to have the deep well. Check your sources, everybody. Before you retweet, before you post a link, make sure you look at where did it actually come from? Oh, that website. I've never heard of that before. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, the second part of that question is how do we deal with the 24-hour news cycle? So it was... It was our second episode we talked about Sutherland Springs down in Texas. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that was two years ago that we talked about that, like the shooting down in the Texas church. How many news stories have happened since then that we've just completely forgotten about stories that happened a month ago? You know, I, I ask myself a lot of these questions um, and I wonder about just the human capacity to take in this much information. I don't think we were meant to have... 24-hour news feeds in the palm of our hands all day and all night. 
Yeah. You know, how much can a person really absorb and yeah. to what effect can they actually, you know, enact change in those in those situations? And if you think back, I mean, just a few hundred years ago in this country, news traveled as fast as someone could move on horseback. Mm -hmm. And so you didn't you didn't have that constant barrage. You were capable of holding all of the current events in your mind uh, because there just wasn't as much news. Let's do a few more questions. All right. What is your essential reading list? This is from Marion. You, you mean pleasure? Desert Island. <laughs> You've got three okay. books De to read for the Perfect. rest of your life. What and, are they? And, well, and one can't be the Bible. Well, they always well you have yeah. it mostly memorized, I'm sure. I, no, <laughs> no, I'm not, no, I'm not a memorization person. <laughs> uh, I would have the complete poems of Philip Larkin. I've never uh, heard of Philip Larkin. Larkin. Didn't expect who's, that one. Who's Philip Larkin? Um, I guess I'll look it up. I'll go get his complete <laughs> poetry. I, I don't know whether I've ever been as offended to my oh, no. I'm so sorry. Oh, oh, no. I'm so sorry. Well, so, Philip, Philip Larkin, I would say the com the complete poems of Philip Larkin. Yeah, Marin can tell you more about that, Barry. Yeah, tell me about Philip Larkin, Marin. Why are you looking at me? <laughs> what about you, Tyler? Do you know a lot yeah, about him? I'll tell you after the show. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, I would have um, Paradise Lost, Milton's Paradise Lost with me, because it always will... Uh, generate new thoughts about the actual events of the text and uh, third i think i would want to have either sheldon van Auken's severe mercy with me or i would want to have um mere christianity by mm. c.s lewis because i think they're books that speak to your soul as well as speak to your heart and but yeah that's probably what i would have but I, the first thing is Philip Larkin, because uh, I was a, my undergraduate degree is in literature, and I did a master's degree in literature at Butler, and, and my main main areas were um, post-colonial literature, but then the, the modern British poetry, and Philip Larkin is just ridiculous. It's so good. It's like, so, so I just don't even know how to say I'm starting to sound like the president with very, 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 very. But it's the best like, poetry. Yeah, no, he's so good. And he hits on all the, all the right cylinders. And so on. Duh, Barry. Yeah, now I know. Yeah. British. Barry, I, I'm waiting for a, a reciting when you come mm -hmm. back. Oh, absolutely. Next Monday. I'm going to memorize a poem. Mark asks. Oh, oh hey. Go. Oh, we'll we'll get to Mark's question because oh. it's very, very good. But you only asked half of Marion's question. The other what? half said music list. Or music, okay. Which, of course. What am I listening what's your, to? Yeah, what, what, uh, what would you bring with you to the island? Music. Essential music uh, list. Okay, essential music list. I'd have to take uh, Mallard with the album Mallard. That's Captain Beefheart's band. They yes. made two records uh, after Captain Beefheart. Captain Beefheart. Um, and they are. Wow. And they're just ridiculous. Deep cuts, man. You a Zappa fan as well? I sat on the stage on Eric Anderson's <laughs> keyboard <laughs> oh seat God. next to him while at a Zappa show when yes. the. Oh. I, I was. Of course you did. I, I knew did. I liked yeah, you, I, sat, Tim. I, I knew. I knew that I liked you. He he was uh, wearing a hoodie, and this is in a time when nobody wore hoodies. And he was playing the Why? keyboard. I don't know. He was just a weird dude. And Aldo got, it was when the two dudes in the Turtles, Flo and Eddie, were singing for Zappa. And so I got to set up their gear. And so then I sat on the, the piano bench, the bench, right, wow. with the keyboard rack through oh the whole show God. with Zappa. Yeah. No, that was okay. one of the coolest. But 
Captain Beefheart was not, you know, he only sang with Zappa one time. I just kind of put them in a similar vein. Yeah, they are. They're from a similar vein. But the Mallard. Mallard, for sure. Mallard, because that record just freaks me out. Yeah. I'd have to have Blind Faith. Blind Mm -hmm. Faith is just, you know, what what do you do without Blind Faith? Mm -mm. (laughs) My Lord. That should be the quote for the episode um, yeah, right there. That's the title. Um, let me think. I have a great blind faith story while you think. You have a blind faith story? Well, not really. So my my husband uh-huh. and I were going to uh, some sort of like marriage seminar thing. I don't know why. I was really nervous. And we were listening to blind faith <laughs> all the way from Chicago to, wow. to Iowa. We were listening to blind faith. And um, specifically, can't find my way home. I just... I had this impulsive need for a nylon string guitar. Like, I just, I will make it my aim to purchase a nylon string guitar by the end of this year. But it just so happened when we reached Iowa, where our hotel was situated, was right next to a guitar center. Uh So I went in and bought a nylon string guitar Uh just because of that song. And uh, our hotel room had two double beds, which is so awkward when you're married and your hotel room has two double beds. So the, the Cordoba got a bed of its own while we were at. (laughs) <laughs> the marriage seminar. And then, you know, it wasn't as scary as I thought it would be, and everything was great. And when I came back to Chicago, I returned it immediately. Um, but <laughs> that was my wild weekend with a nylon string guitar. That's Thank fine. you, Blind Faith. So you were listening to Blind Faith on the way to a marriage seminar. That's pretty that's what I do. interesting. <laughs> so that's two. What do you got for the uh, third one? It's the third one? That's the last one I can have? Okay. Um, I or got Maybe four, because you did have four books. Okay. Uh, four. Um, I probably would have uh, Fleetwood Mac live in Chicago with uh, Peter Green and Danny Kerwin. It's a really great raw record, and as a guitar player, it's just always nice to go back to it and to listen to it uh, and learn new blues licks because there's the you know, Jeremy Spencer's on the record, and uh, well, I named the other guys, and and you just never know what they're gonna do, and it's all live, and I just felt good about that. And I probably would have the Phoenix, the most recent Phoenix, one mm-hmm. of the last two Phoenix records. Oh, that, wow. I, My I'm son a huge, is going to love you. I'm a mm. huge Phoenix fan. I'm also a fan of uh, Blood Royal, and I like I like what they're doing. Can so. I be honest? I don't know <laughs> what most of these bands or albums are. I've never heard them. I need this an education. A, you guys need to spend more time together. Yeah. I, I'm like listening to all this. I'm like, neat. And then and there's that there's that album like Sloppy Dolphins and yeah. and Sloppy uh, Dolphins. Well, there's a yeah. lot. Of, I mean, I, <laughs> I don't know. I just made that up. Yeah. There's probably a band called that. Yeah, probably. Or there will be. There should be. You and Jaden and Sloppy Dolphins. <laughs> all right. Switching gears. Mark asks, "What is the connection between Ham and the people we know now as Africans and Arabs?" Ham, the son of Noah. Yep. I don't know that there's any connection. Um, there's a very loose uh, uh, connection where it says that that Ham's relatives went to they went to this part of the world. Or that they're you know the the names of those tribes that come from him were known to be African, but Arab nothing. Really? No, um, because even the business about Ishmael being the father of the Arabs is not true. Um, the Ara- Arabs is a, a term, a geological term for people groups that did not even come into existence till the 7th century and are primarily focused on the f- spread of Islam mainly because Islam, or the text of or the Quran was written in Arabic. But I, I don't, th- I think that's a bogus 
connection. Hmm. We don't, you know, the, to make a connection between Ham and these northern African tribes and then the black Africans is just really a stretch. Really? Oh, yeah. I always heard that Noah married like an African woman and Ham was, what do they call it, the Kush, Kushites or something? Yeah, but the... Yeah, but those are Egyptian. Yeah, people. Egypt. Okay. From Egyptian Egyptian people. Yeah, they're Africans, but that's not No, I, that stuff is all just people stretching the text so that they can put other people into uh lower positions. And the thing about the Ar- there's no connection between the Arabs and Ham, even a beginning connection, and there's no connection between Ishmael and the Arabs as we know them today. But there's 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 a reason they think that they're deriving this this notion from somewhere right scholars or i don't know that uh, when all the scholars actually look at it they all say there's no connection there were a lot in like the the 1700s there were some ethno-linguistic people who decided that they were going to categorize all of humanity and they used shem ham and japheth as a way of slicing up the human population to try to understand where everybody came from. And frankly, a lot of their reasoning was to try to find a reason to say that like black Africans were inferior and that's why slavery was okay. And so they came from ham and ham was the one who messed up and looked, saw his father's nakedness. And so that's why the Africans have been historically lesser than it's just, it's all messed up and twisted. And it really frankly is not from my perspective is not what Moses and the Israelites were getting at when they put, pen to paper from for mm-hmm. Genesis. I don't think that was the point. And really, if we're really looking at what the text says, it says that Ham became the Cushites, the, the Egyptians. It says that uh, Shem became the Semitic peoples and Japheth became the seafaring peoples, I believe, unless I'm misquoting it. So like seafaring peoples, they just took that to mean what? Everything else. Hmm. So it's just kind of mm-hmm. like a, I don't know. I feel like we're doing the most trying to put all that onto that, that text. Let's do one more. Marin, you got one? Christy says, how do you know when God says no versus when you're supposed to persevere? That's a good question. That's a hard question. I, I will be honest about my own, the only way I can answer that. I mean, there's no, there's no like scheme in the Bible that tells you how to know that. Right. But for me, it comes from being one aware of my own soul, whether or not the reason I'm saying no is because I'm just tired of it or I don't want to deal with it anymore. And secondly, I always listen to the voices of people I respect as they talk to me about what is what they see going on in my life. I've recently had an experience like that where I was thinking no, and then out of the no place, I had people call me to just tell me how much impact I was having in their own lives and in other or in other people's lives. And they were, they were the gift to say persevere. So I, I would say that I need to first off know myself well enough to know whether I'm just trying to run from something because sometimes God says enough is enough. You're, you're done here. And, and if I'm not trying to run from it and it's very clear that this is not working or I shouldn't be here or that there's something immoral about it, or, I mean, I had that 
experience. I knew the day that I was supposed to leave Bob and Tom when we talked about that. I knew, mm-hmm. and it wasn't because of what was happening on the show. It was what was happening within me. Mm. And so I knew I was supposed to not do that anymore. But more the often than not, the reason I'm thinking that God is telling me no is just because I'm tired of it and I need to listen to other voices. Mm-hmm. So I'd say, I don't know if that's a good Well, answer. no, the Bible says there's wisdom in the counsel of many. Yeah. I, I absolutely think that. I, I, I'm i also thinking of, um, what's that scripture I come back to all the time? My sheep hear my voice and they know me. Just this afternoon, I was in a meeting where I just heard that still small voice say, be steadfast and immovable. And that's all I needed to hear. You know, that was, for me, the answer I needed in that moment. Um, you know, just hearing the voice of the, the good shepherd. Mm-hmm. The most important part of that to me is having people that you trust and actually listening to them. Because a a lot of times the people I trust will tell me something, but I'll still do what I think is right anyways. And if I just would have listened, maybe I would have. Right. And I know for me, if I get a hundred emails about the sermon this last weekend and 99 are saying that was really wonderful and that touched me and (laughs) I'll go, okay, I'll go, thanks for the kind word. And then uh, I'll get one that said, I'm not sure you know what you're talking about. Uh-huh. That's the only one I'll listen to. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. That's the one that sticks with you. Yeah. And th- and that will make me not want to do that anymore. Mm. You know, make me want to avoid it. And I just can't listen to that voice. I don't know that a lot of people realize that that happens. It happens. To, it happens. To, it, to happens. <laughs> yeah. it happens all the time. Yeah. Just yeah. imagine receiving the email you're about to send. And then say, what would this make me feel before you hit send? And I think that will do a lot of good uh, in the why, world. Why do you think people do that, though? Why do, why do you think people feel comfortable doing that? Because Olivia is always like, no no CEO of a company is getting people writing yeah. emails. If about- I go to, if I go to a, I mean, if I go to a Taylor Swift concert and I'm not impressed, I'm not trying to email Taylor Swift to let her know. <laughs> you know? Why do people do that? That's a good question. Don't look at me. <laughs> I, they do. I mean, sometimes people disagree with your your point or mm-hmm. they don't know what you're talking about. Last one. All right, last question. And this is a, a quick one. How often, uh, uh, Greg asks this, asked this on Instagram. How often are you mistaken for <laughs> Robert Redford? About three times a week. <laughs> <laughs> Does it happen out in, like, like everywhere you everywhere, go? Everywhere, everywhere. Is I, it offensive I, or like annoying at this point? Or are you like... No, I, I f- completely forget about it until it happens. <laughs> and then I remember that it happens. I, yeah. I honestly have... I never think about it. And I've had it happen to me literally everywhere. I, I traveled with you once to a conference or something, and it <laughs> happened to you twice by the time we sat in our seats on the airplane. <laughs> Like unbelievable! I didn't believe it was that. When did common. it start? Oh, about ten years ago. Okay, okay. So you weren't like, like always like seventies and eighties people calling you Robert Redford. You've kind of grown into your Robert Redford. I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, there's just no way to make money off of it. You know, yeah. it's, not, it's not. He's not like a character that has a a voice and a thing that I could go do at parties and get paid. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, but I have, I've uh, had people walk up to me with books and pens to ask for my autograph. I got stopped going through the 
TSA thing at the airport because this lady yelled, "Stop that man!" And it was with the with Doug and some other yeah other pastors, and they stopped me. And she came over and got right in my grill and said, "Are you Robert Redford or not?" Oh my goodness! And I said, "I'm not." And she goes, okay, let him through. You know, so like, <laughs> Do you ever play along, like the people that ask you for autograph? Have you ever No, but one time, one time we were on Sanibel, and it was pouring with rain, and we were there with uh, some friends, and it was about six or seven of us. And it, uh, all the restaurants were just packed because when it's raining on Sanibel, there's nothing else to do but eat. Mm-hmm. And the line was massive, and it was like a two-hour late or wait, hour and a half or something. It was just massive wait. And so I walked up to put our name in, and the lady, this lady looked up at me, and she goes, she sort of jerked and said, sir, we will get you a table immediately. <gasps> and I said, well, you don't have to do that. And this lady, she goes, no, no, we will take care of you oh right now. And goodness. literally, literally, the next free table was ours. They, we were in a ta- oh, at a table no. like within so, a minute. Like you Redford knew party was- of two? <laughs> and, and so, and so as we're leaving, you know, the ladies are all sort of in a flutter as we're leaving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I looked over at the thing where they write down the things, and there was just this big R, R written down there. No! Like, so you like, never corrected her. Absolutely yeah. not. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it's finally paid off. Well, yeah. That's great. All right, Tim, we'll let you go. Thanks so much for being here with us. Thanks yeah, for fun. sharing the message. We hope to have you back and do another round of... Ask him anything. Uh, to all the listeners, we didn't get to uh, ask your question. Thank you for submitting your question. We hope to hold those until maybe next time. Um, or if it's something that just uh, tickles Tim's fancy, uh, maybe he can uh, answer those directly to you. So thanks for listening this week on Between Sundays. Next week, we're going to have our friend of the pod and fifth favorite guest, Amy Christie, as she will be speaking on the shepherds. So and, mean. <laughs> and uh, continuing our series, A Thrill of Hope. Marin, you want to send us out? Do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly. And we'll see you on the next side of Sunday.